people, your team, they're my family. You know, I've always had that belief. Um, you know, I have a little saying in my team, it's one team, one dream. And the success that, that a restaurant, you know, achieves is not off one person's back. It's off everyone's back that works in that restaurant. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huxtep. Three Michelin stars. It's known the world over as the pinnacle of dining. Obtaining three Michelin stars is one thing, but holding on to them is something entirely different. After a year where the global pandemic rocked the restaurant industry to its core, what importance will be placed on these accolades? And what impact will the events of 2020 have on the finer end of dining? Matt Abay is the chef patron of restaurant Gordon Ramsay in London. Matt, how are you going? Yeah, very well, thank you. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. You've uh, had a hell of a year, but you've had some good news in the in the last week. How, how does that feel? Getting um, receiving that sort of accolade, given the year that we've had. Uh, it's an amazing, uh, an amazing sense of achievement. Obviously, given the year that we've uh, the world is going through, as world has gone through, um, and the difficulties and the adversities we've had to overcome. Um, and uh, for Restaurant Gordon Ramsay and for all those that have worked there in, in the past and the present, it's an amazing achievement to uh, retain the third Michelin star for what is now the 20th uh, consecutive year, which is uh, an amazing accolade in, in anyone's terms, uh, let alone uh, in the UK uh, dining scene. Um, you know, and it's, a, it's been an amazing opportunity for myself, uh, having worked in the restaurant now, uh, coming up for uh, what we're nearly 13, 14 years at Restaurant Gordon Ramsay. Um, you know, it's a, it's been an amazing journey. What sort of pressures are involved in holding on to something like that? Is, does it does it cross your mind as you're working every day? Is it something that you always aim for? Uh, it's the the pressures that are involved. I don't try to categorize those as a as a set target. Um, the way the way I've, you know, my whole journey of, of, of a chef, um, I've very much always fallen in love with fine dining restaurants um, throughout my career. And it's just something that I've always aspired to work in those environments. I love the, I love the buzz. I love the pressure. I love the, uh, the finesse and the attention to detail that's given to each and every plate or each and every bite that a guest might receive. Um, you know, and as I tell my guys in the kitchen every day, um, we have our, the, the Michelin plaque that they award us uh, each year. We have it um, proudly, proudly placed in the, um, in the kitchen uh, on the other side of the pass that whilst we're on the pass working, we can kind of, you know, it's there and we can, uh, we can look at it. Um, I always tell my guys that we don't work for the plaque. The plaque is the reward of, of the hard work that we put in. It's the, it's the level of what we work to and, you know, how we, uh, you know, work every day and, and, you know, that's the, that's the goals. That's the way that we work. And that's just a reward for, for achieving what we, what we do on a day in day out basis. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a massive team effort, you know, in the restaurant, we are a 45 seat restaurant and we employ 40 members of staff. Um, so that's, you know, half 20 of those are in the kitchen. Um, you know, and it's, a it's a very, um, it's a small space, a very small, intimate dining space. Um, obviously, you know, it's a restaurant in the heart of Chelsea and London. And 
uh, square meterage we're not blessed with. Let's put it that way. Um, so every every little uh, every little nook and cranny is using that place to its best ability. Um, and you know you're cramming. You know, any one time we're roughly got you know around about sort of thirty thirty five staff within the building operating working together. So um, you know it's a small compact space, but it's very uh, very rewarding and. Um, the the upside of having that lovely, small, unique, intimate space is it allows us to always feel uh, like we're always overseeing it. It's always easy to see that like there's no nothing gets hidden. There's no, you know, no station around the corner. Or there's no uh, chefs around the corner or in another room that you can't kind of see oversee and make sure everything's coming out to uh, to how it should be. So it creates a great team dynamic. Australia has been somewhat sheltered from the pandemic compared to other countries and particularly like England and, and across the UK. Um, what, what's it been like for the last year, especially for a restaurant that's at the finer end, it's not something that you can just switch to takeaway. What sort of impact has that had on sort of your role in the business over the last year? Um, well, obviously with the, when we hit the first lockdown, it, it kind of, well, we kind of we had a feeling it was coming because it wasn't like a literally super sudden moment in time. Um, we we as a business, uh, Gordon, we made a decision that there was a point we were going to close, uh, and then kind of the government literally flicked the switch the day before, so we uh, we we closed, and it was just it it was almost one of the most surreal moments of my life where. We were we were we were getting ready to open up for the dinner service, and literally at that point in time, we were told that we were to cease operation from that point on, and and it was just a it was a very surreal moment because no one actually knew for how long we had to shut up shop essentially, um, and it was just trying to you know keep the team positive and given the circumstances of we're about to enter an a period of uncertainty that none of us the world over has has faced before in this instance um and it was it it was really kind of it was sad in a way of having to to pack the restaurant down in the sense of you know having to get that deep in and you know there is to be not one piece of food left in the building and the length of cleaning and and that, but as I said, the uncertainty of not knowing how long is this going to go go on for. So it was. Um, I was extremely proud of my team um, when I, you know, sort of broke the news to them and told them what was happening. Um, you know, we we completely gutted the kitchen and the front of house and packed it up and left it in a state that I was very happy with. Um, and they did it within about five hours. And it was a, the bit that really caught me at the end was. Um, you know the the front of house where we're in our we've got a little downstairs uh, sort of kitchen area where our fridges and freezers are, and the front of house we're in there with the chefs mucking in, kind of helping us get them all cleaned out, and then we said goodbye to everyone, but it was a, a very awkward kind of goodbye, see you soon moment, um, and I was it was literally just myself and my chefs left in the kitchen. And, you know, I tried to give them all a little, um, I had a little chat with all of them and just said that, you know, obviously we're here, I'm here for them and we don't know what we're going through. Obviously none of us really know what we're about to go through. So, you know, if anyone ever need anything, just reach out. And I was like, so I fin- I finished up my, my talk with the guys and, you know, wished them all the best and said, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. And there was this like very, 
weird air of linger. Like, I mean, after every day, every service, every evening, when I say goodbye to the team and they go home, you know, they're out the door in, <laughs> they're out the door in seconds. But this period, this time, they they were just kind of everyone. We were all just stood in silence for about two minutes, just kind of with our knives in our hand and not really knowing what was about to uh, about to unravel. I guess and. I mean, for us, I guess in in a sense, it was uh, well, it was nearly four. What nearly? Yeah, it was nearly four months. The first lockdown went for went through, um, and I spent a lot of time, you know, recipe writing and uh, I guess forecasting for the business under scenario A, B, C, D, every scenario we could possibly imagine, and trying to figure out how we would. You know, when we got the when we got the green light to go again, what what the plan was essentially, and I made every plan for, tried to make as many plans for every scenario, um, and obviously stay in touch with the team throughout. Um, the the great thing, well, I mean, not the great thing, but I guess an upside for us during that period of time is that it was the summer over here, um, and it was I mean, London is an amazing place, but London in the summer is is uh, is something to be cherished um, in the sense of people's moods and their their demeanor is something so different but um yeah i think that that summertime i just spent a lot of time uh reading uh doing a bit of research myself uh a lot of suppliers were very generous in you know trying to support the industry with sending out little bits and pieces to chefs and you know trying to keep us going or keep us inspired and that which was really nice um but I really, I ultimately turned my hand uh, during the first lockdown. My wife uh, is also a chef. She got involved uh, with uh, a charity and then I started helping her as well. And we started, you know, producing meals um, out of a, a church kitchen uh, for the healthcare workers and for homeless people. And um, that was like a little community because it was a, just a bunch of chefs that we got together and were, were doing, you know, sort of 300 meals a day, five days a week. Um, yeah. which, which obviously passed the time and, you know, gave some sort of sense of purpose, I guess. But I really, during that period of time, I turned my attention a little bit self, well, selfishly in a sense, but towards myself, um, and just worked on trying to stay mentally alert and active. And I found that the best result for me was through, through fitness and obviously not being able to go to the gym. I turned to running, which, uh, is a great form of exercise, but one I still don't enjoy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I used to just sort of go and run, you know, five kilometers every day. Uh, and that just kind of that half an hour just kind of gave me some time to, you know, clear my head and, you know, allow the creative thoughts for, the reopening menu, essentially what that might look like and what we're going to do and, you know, trying to, to make plans. And um, I mean, using the, using the pandemic and the time that we've had closed uh, allowed uh, myself and my team as well to do a lot of time of, uh, of thinking and reevaluating, which is time that we never, I mean, during a normal operating of business, you never have that amount of time to, to actually kind of take, sit back, take stock, um think about do we do we break the mold do we change change tactic do we do we want to do things differently as in the business so um it was a very it was a positive time in that sense um you know evaluating my my approach with the team and um you know how we were going to do things moving forward and 
uh, it was a big, a big change when we reopened. Um, and we obviously had to change our business plan slightly. Uh, in the mid, in the beginning, we opened a few less services um, because obviously we were, you know, on uncertainty regarding demand and how how the industry and was going to pick itself up again. Um, but my team came back and they were very hungry, very focused. Um, and it was actually amazing even sometimes, like the amount of improvement I saw in some of the staff. Um, and I think it was, again, just having some time off to also reflect themselves and to kind of get themselves into the right headspace, essentially. You said earlier that you uh, spent some time writing recipes and rethinking and reevaluating what you want to do in the restaurant. And Gordon Ramsay is arguably the most well-known chef on the planet. What's, what's the role that he plays with you in regards to what the restaurant delivers uh, on the floor and in the kitchen? My relationship with Gordon uh, in the restaurant, uh, you know, having worked, I mean, I've, I've worked with Gordon since 2007 uh, when I started with him, joined the team at Claridge's. Um, and my, my role with Gordon um, in the last sort of seven years um, has turned to um, a lot more of a, a mentorship, but also a great friendship. Um, and when, when we talk about, um, the business, um, we talk about the business together, um, and the ideas, um, he's very, I'm very fortunate, obviously, you know, he allows me to construct the menu as I wish. Um, and, you know, he tries things and he gives his feedback and, um, but when he gives his feedback, construct positive or negative, it's never to be taken as, cause I've now told you that this is not what I would do. It means you have to change it. It's, it's allowed to, he still allows me to then take the final decision essentially. Um, and you know, the way, the way that we always w work together and, um, you know, discussions, you know, like I might have an idea and then he has a kind of a counter idea or a, a variation of that, which then gives me more food for thought for my, my idea and process um and yeah and it, at the end of the day it's very much a collective the way we operate and work in the sense of um you know uh you know he trusts me on the team that i require and you know i explain a lot of those things to him and uh you know obviously the way that we work and function yeah he he very much allows me to to act freely um but he knows that at the same time i'm gonna act respectfully and um you know we share the same vision and the same goals for the restaurant. So, um, it's an amazing opportunity, you know, it's almost, you know, I get to almost run this restaurant as if it's my own, but that, you know, I've got this amazing level of support next to me that, that will, he will never, you know, with Gordon, the best part with Gordon is that he will, he will never not let you fall, but he will try to steer you or guide you throughout the process. And if there's ever moments where you do fall, or you have a problem, you know, he's there to kind of help you, give you the tools to recover or to make the next decision and how that obviously impacts and that, you know, and obviously, you know, he has a big, uh, you know, large influence on my, yeah, professional life, um, you know, and helping me, uh, you know, make the right decisions at certain times and to guide me. And as I said, like, it's very much this, it's almost having that second opinion um, and sometimes supporting your my justified decision or then sometimes contradicting it and then allowing me to then 
evolve that idea further or you know sometimes you just need to go back to the drawing board and relook at the uh whatever it is you're trying to achieve whether it be a new dish or you want to update the service or you want to change the you know everything in a business obviously has you know uh, a positive and negative ramification so it's all about how you you garner that journey i guess can you give us a sense of what Matt Abay is on the plate? You know, um, perhaps a dish that has come out of this time to reflect and think about your food again. Is there a dish that you're particularly proud of at the moment that you've created recently? Um, I mean, there's, I, I wouldn't say there's necessarily one specific dish, but what I have noticed is that my my style of of food I've become obviously as I've grown as a chef you grow with confidence and you when you have that higher level of confidence I feel that you then can almost allow the food to very much simplify itself and and allow products to sing um to the guest and on the palate in the sense of you know um I mean I think I I absolutely adore veal sweetbreads um and I, you know, so we've got a lovely roasted veal sweetbread on the menu, which I then sort of changed the garnish seasonally um, to accompany that. And it's always very, I, um, yeah, I always very, it's just a simple, it's just a lovely roasted glazed sweetbread on the plate with, um, say for instance, if it's spring garnish or spring and summer, I might have some crushed peas and broad beans with like baby radishes and some little artichokes and then just some lovely little fine herbs and some spring flowers there that would obviously give a lovely uh, fresh impact of flavor. And then we uh, we serve that with a, a light veal sauce, which has been finished with a malt extract and then some uh, pickled mustard seeds to once again bring through some lovely high levels of acidity to kind of keep what essentially could be a heavy a heavy piece of, of product, a protein, and makes it very light and very fresh. And um, I always look for that balance on the plate. I, I am absolutely um, addicted to acidity, um, whether it be through uh, the vinegars or citrus or, um, you know, trying to create that harmony and balance in all my dishes um, uh, is something I really love. And, you know, using all pickles or ferments or things like that, create that, 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 that kind of lightness uh, on the palate. Um, obviously, to go through a menu, whether it be a la carte or tasting. You've spent uh, the greater portion of your career in the UK, but it's hard to tell from the accent, but you are from Australia. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you take us back to when you first got interested in food and how you got into the industry? Um, yeah, I mean, food, growing up in Australia, I guess, you know, having barbecues and entertaining and having people over was always a very big part of my family life as a as a kid and um I think my mum uh you know she had her little repertoire as I think most mums do and kind of have that little fortnight rotation of of the of the classics of the house I guess and but we always uh, as a family we did love to entertain and have people over and you know I was very fortunate that my um parents um you know, encouraged us to try new things and to, uh, you know, you know, my mum was very much, she liked to make things rather than always buy them, you know, things out of a packet essentially or things like that. So it was very much um, through those moments in time. And I think also to my grandparents, um, my grandparents, they, they both traveled quite a lot um, in the later years of their life. And obviously, garnered a lot of experience around the world and trying different things and you know australia is such an amazing multicultural country with 
so many different cultures bringing their cuisines to the world. Um, you know, it, it was always such a lovely melting pot of different things to try and taste all the time, whether it be, you know, uh, Chinese food, Malaysian, uh, Sri Lankan, Indian, you know, we had such, you know, Greek, Turkish, there was always such an amazing uh, amount of different things to try as a kid. Um, and I think, yeah, my, as a child, my whole, uh, my dream was, I, you know, I like thought maybe I'll be a chef one day when I grow up or my other passion was I was sort of, you know, very much considered about being in the defense forces. Um, and, uh, when I look at the back at that now, I think it was the fact that I do love a sense of purpose and a sense of discipline, um, which is something I definitely find within the kitchen. You know, we have a hierarchy, but there is a structure and there's an order into which we deliver everything each day. And we do certain, you know, we do certain tasks at certain times of the day, which gives a, a lovely level of basis and standard for everyone to operate from. And, uh, as a, as a kid growing up, uh, when I was doing my high school certificate, I had, um, I chose hospitality as a subject and part of that to gain that certificate, I had to, uh, go out into the real, real world and do some work experience. And, um, due to my surname, I was first off the list and very early out of the year, I think it was about the March time I actually went and did my work placement in my first year of year 11, uh, and jokingly, I'd said to my mum on the first day when she picked me up, I was like, oh, I love this. It's amazing. The chef's going to give me a job. And my mum, as all mum, positively laughed and like, yeah, sure, son. No worries. And then um, it literally was the Friday afternoon after my first week of work placement. The executive chef called me into his office, which was quite a daunting thing at the age of uh, 16, just turned uh, and sat me down and said, oh, have you thought about, you know, being a chef as a career? And then explained to me about going to TAFE and how that all works in Apprentice and I, I was buzzing literally after that conversation I jumped in the car told my mum about it and she um she was uh she was blown away by it and was of course the first answer was well we'll talk to your dad about that tonight um <laughs> and uh when I told my dad the first answer was no you'll finish school uh and then I pleaded with them and they um they had contact of my school teacher and um, called my uh, my school teacher up over the weekend, and she uh, she said to my parents, "Look, you know, let him go, and you know, if it doesn't work out, he can always complete his high school certificate and as an adult um, through college." And then it kind of escalated from there. So uh, I started. I went back to school for one week. And that was it. And then I uh, I left, um, which. Uh, you know, I liked school. I was, uh, I was a good student. Um, but yeah, this, the cooking passion was just extremely fueled in my, you know, my hunger right there. And, you know, as a kid, I used to love watching the lifestyle channel and, you know, watching, uh, Neil Perry and those sorts of shows and, you know, even Rick Stein or Keith Floyd and, you know, those, um, uh, all those different elements of, of what food was starting to kind of kick off in Australia, I think. And then, I started my apprenticeship uh, at Epping RSL. Uh, then I um, I moved then to uh, the Tattersalls Club in the city. Uh, so that, that basically filled up my first year, those two jobs. Uh, and then I was still yearning for more. I wanted more. And then um, the sous chef at the time, she found me. We got the paper back when you did that. Got the paper, looked through the job ads. And um, Aria was looking for uh, apprentice chefs. So I uh, applied for the job 
got invited for the trial. Um, it was a big kitchen, a lot of chefs. Um, I was absolutely blown away by the day I spent there. Um, and the head chef at the time, uh, Simon Sandal, said to me, um, oh, yeah, we'll give you a job, but we just haven't got a position for you right now. So I called twice a week for six weeks. Uh, <laughs> and then they said, all right, fine, you can come, you can come. Um, so, yeah, at the time I was living uh, in Cherrybrook in the hills uh, and then traveling to the city each day to uh, to work at Aria. Um, you know, my mum and dad supported me a lot through my early years of my career. My dad gave me a lift to work because he worked in the city or uh, would pick me up in the evening if I had an early finish on his way home and things like that. So they, they supported me a lot. They gave me a lot of financial support as well in the beginning. Um, and yeah, I spent best part four and a half years at Aria. Uh, and then, um, then I, you know, wanted another change. So then I got to, uh, I then moved to Melbourne, uh, and then got a job at Vidamon, which I worked at for two years. Uh, and then, um, it, a lot of things came about, but a school friend of mine, uh, was getting married in Scotland. He'd asked me to be the best man at his wedding. Um, and I'd heard all the stories from all the English chefs that I worked with in Australia and the fact that I really wanted to, you know, head to Europe and, you know, see what all these restaurants were about. And having watched Boiling Point at that stage in my life, um, uh, and my dad, you know, as all dads are, cheekily said to me, he's like, oh, do you reckon you could work in that kitchen one day? And I was, of course, 16 or 17, I think it was, being pretty cocky. I was like, yeah, of course, dad. Yeah, yeah, one day. Um uh, and then, yeah, so then obviously I headed over to uh, the UK uh, on my work visa, um, attended my friend's wedding, had a, f uh, a couple of nice weeks in Scotland and then literally moved to London and started working at Claridge's a week later after being in London. Uh, and then I was very lucky enough to get sponsored, um, to which then I had to go back to Australia to get my visa approved and that, um, and to which time I thought I had enough money saved to survive for a little while. Um, but obviously the uh, the sponsorship took a little bit longer to come through. Um, and uh, Matt Moran very kindly took me back at ARIA on a short-term kind of temporary basis, um, which was amazing. And it was amazing for me to get back into that kitchen again and sort of see how it had evolved in the, you know, three years that I had been away in a sense. Um, it was really, really amazing to see. And I worked with some amazing people. I mean, um, Matt's got a great talent of, uh, of building great teams and uh, very, very loyal staff. Uh, and then, yeah, I headed back over here. And as I said, I started, I continued at Claridge's. Um, I made it to sous chef at Claridge's. And then I wanted another challenge in my career. And Restaurant Gordon Ramsay was the next stop on that one. And that for me was probably one of the most challenging parts of my career to date was the transition um, going to Restaurant Gordon Ramsay. And it was literally night and day from anything I'd ever done before. Um, the level of attention, um, the discipline. Um, but I, I, at the same time, I yearned and craved for that. So it was a, um, the, the first, uh, the early years were, were not the easiest. They were very difficult. Um, you know, the chefs, long hours, uh, high pressure. Um, but I thrived on that environment. Um, the kitchen, we were very fortunate because, uh, restaurant Gordon Ramsay was only open, we only opened Monday to Friday, lunch and dinner, 10 services a week. Um, we literally just ran with one team the whole time. So there was never the fear of coming in and, 
your your other co- you know your other teammate on your section had kind of run your mise en place down and left you to it and you've got to pick it up for the next two days while they had their days off it was very much everything relied on you and your section and how you managed that to to get by and then um, that's still a philosophy we have today. You know, we still run today. We were, we're open Tuesday to Saturday, but we still run um, 10 services. So it's, it's very much a one team dynamic, which um, is an absolute amazing situation to be in, um, to run a kitchen, to know you've got that level of consistency from, from a chef each day. And you can also see when they're having a good day and a bad day at the same time and how you can support them. You've been at restaurant Gordon Ramsay for well over a decade now. How much have you seen, that restaurant change and and also the dining scene in London? Uh, well, the restaurant itself. Um, okay, so in the time I've been there, in 2013, uh, we did a refurbishment of the dining space um, and kind of very much um, modernised it. We're still maintaining a little bit of um, some Art Deco flair that we, that we have in the building. Um, and that kind of was a little kickstart when I was working under Claire Smith there that we, the, the, the food kind of got a little kickstart, a little evolution at that period of time as well. Uh, and then, you know, Claire left in April, 2016 and, you know, it was all, uh, all upon my, my shoulders at that point. Uh, then in, um, 2018, uh, we did a, uh, refurb on the kitchen, um, which Gordon allowed me to, uh, you know, head up. Um, literally, I got to decide what we were going to have, how we're going to change, what we're going to do. Um, we very much tried to open the kitchen up as much as we could. Um, we couldn't move the walls as much as I wish we we were able to, but we couldn't move the walls. But he very much just allowed me to create the space as to how I thought would best work in that environment. And basically, what we tried to do was just open up the kitchen as much as possible. There was nothing on the stove above uh, hip height. So we could all see each other. It was made for a lot easier communication. Uh, and we went from a traditional old French suite full of gas that was literally like a burning inferno from the moment you walked into the moment you walked out the door to an electric kitchen. Um, but we, uh, not induction, but we went to like in electric planches and that. So we've still got the heat and the power that we had from the gas um, to cook on uh but it obviously is a lot more efficient heating and cooling down and, and we got air conditioning in the kitchen which was uh <laughs> which was a dream <laughs> to say the least um but yeah i mean the evolution of the restaurant the restaurant never stands still it's constantly evolving um it might be large things it might be small things but there's always there's never a moment where we stop standing still um as i said we did the refurb in the front of house in 2013 um, at the same time we did the kitchen, we replaced the chairs uh, in the dining room, um, which again, you know, I was I was very lucky that I actually kind of got to design the chair that I wanted to have um, because that was the kind of demands or the, the thing we want. I mean, the restaurant is very personal. Um, there's nothing in that restaurant that I can't tell you about. You know, I can tell you why we chose that product or what it was there for or uh, why we chose that shape or you know, everything is very, um, very detailed. You know, we obviously we have a lot of get a lot of things custom made, um, but you know that's us. You know, having to work in such a small confined space is trying to always use that space as freely as best as possible. Um, you know, and obviously as I you know took over as a chef, you know my food evolved. Um, it 
it's taken time, but, you know, I was never in a rush, but it's just, uh, you know, things have evolved and, um, you know, we've gotten, you know, as you always, you buy new crockery, you, you come up with new ideas and, uh, things change and adapt. Um, we just recently introduced a second tasting menu, um, called the Cutter Blanche, which basically is a menu that we tell the guests, um, it's, you know, this is what the menu cost is. Is there any dietaries other than that? The chef is going to cook for you. Um, and it's a menu that allows myself and my team to literally act and do as we wish in the sense of um, we might have, you know, five amazing uh, game birds come in. That's 10 portions we can get out of those. And then after we run out of that, we're going to go on to a different bird or this or, you know, it just allows us to be very free and to um, to mix it up and to, you know, almost experiment, um, you know, as we develop and evolve the food and um you know, Russian Gordon Ramsay's always trying, you know, we're staying, um, you know, modernizing in a sense, the evolution. Um, the lobster ravioli has been on the menu since Gordon had the aubergine in uh, 1993, but we were every couple of years or every period of time, we have the confidence we're, we're evolving that, we're changing it slightly. It's still the core and the foundation of the dish is the same, it's just seasonal changes. Um, just before the last lockdown, I changed it to. Uh, serving with some black truffle and we went back to a classic lobster bisque and um it was just nice for for the team as well to <laughs> to to kind of change up something that we do very religiously every day um but then yeah i mean the dining scene in london in the last 10 years oh my god it has changed so much um uh, you know there's so obviously london has also been a very multicultural city but there's been so many smaller restaurants popping up, particularly in places like Soho and that, that have um, literally just grabbed hold of the chef and their their heritage, and now they're just cooking, you know, some amazing Sri Lankan food or places just specialising in dumplings or or Thai food, like Northern Thai food, or people are being very specific. Um, and there's this very much this kind of come in. It's a very cool, calm, casual environment. Um, quite quick turnaround the food's just simply cooked you know in that in that in a sense of almost what i feel sometimes you know from what i remember australia being like in certain places um but then yeah what i've noticed about the food um the rest of the rest of you know sort of fine dining restaurants there has been a, a change toward um obviously everyone's trying to champion a lot more british produce you know we've got some amazing produce here over here in the uk um you know, and I've worked. I work with some amazing farmers, growers, suppliers, fisher, fishermen, and that. And you know, everyone's working together to better the the product, but also to respectfully use um, all the different items that we have, and to you know, garner more towards what's in season all the time. And um, you know, it's uh, it's been a really good journey to see how uh, how it's changing. Um, you know, I work with so many different suppliers. Um, you know, and it's very much a fun, it's a fun time when you get to, you know, work with, you know, that farmer or, or the fisherman or the butcher or the, you know, anyone like that and actually understand why your product is like this today and that yesterday or, or what would what would make it better in the future for all of us in a sense. And um, it's been a very exciting journey. This period of time has been one to reflect and, and change things. What's important to you moving forward both as a chef and also as a person? Uh, well, to me, moving forward is that I think, um, 
the you know people your team they're my family um you know i've always had that belief um you know i have a little saying in my team it's one team one dream and it's very much you know we are the success that that a restaurant you know achieves is not off one person's back it's off everyone's every per, everyone's back that works in that restaurant from the you know the kitchen porter to the maitre d to the chef to the to the commie to the runner to someone that polishes the glasses every every person you know including our suppliers and you know the people that work the extended family of a restaurant um is a massive you know, you know what one restaurant supports is a massive part of the community um you know and those you know those relationships are always key i feel and um you know i think that's a very obviously it's always a very important aspect to maintain with people all the time and i think um it's from this situation that we've all been in it's really opened my eyes to to always not always thinking about what i could change but it's just about keeping that 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 level of awareness of considering that you know obviously anything is possible um and i think this situation you know the pandemic that everyone has been put in has created every business to think and evolve and having to pivot or adapt um their what they're doing or what they're offering and it's it's allowed us to actually you know question the norm which i think is a you know has been a real positive a positive outcome on this uh, on this side of it so well, Matt, um, congratulations on the three stars, Michelin. Again, 20 years is just extraordinary. And um, we really loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today. Uh, please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you very much, Anthony. It's been a pleasure. Um, and I hope, uh, you know, as I said, 2021, um, I hope everyone recovers and we can all get back to doing what we love to do every day. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>